Well, hello. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Happy Monday. I have not said that in some time, but it is December 27th, two days after Christmas, a lovely Christmas holiday. And I thought to myself, well, I was thinking over the weekend, um, I, I, maybe I, I miss talking. I've taken a full week off, which is crazy for me. It's really difficult for me to do that. But I've taken an entire week off of doing shows of, um, you know, I haven't even been looking at my usual, um, you know, news news sites, you know, ETMZ, Page Six, CNN occasionally. Um, I haven't been looking at those sites as much um, this past week because I've been with family, I've been taking a break, and I, you know, I just really needed to unplug. It's been really good and, it, um, you know, very relaxing. But I was thinking over the weekend that, you know what, rather than waiting until January 3rd, which is the Monday I was going to come back to start my fourth, no, fifth season of the Mistress of Pop Culture podcast, which is my podcast, wink, wink, I'm going to start a week early because New Year's, I think, is over the weekend. It's on a Friday, I believe. And then I'll just take the weekend off and then I'll keep going back to shows as planned, as, um, you know, as, a, as in the words of Bellatrix Lestrange from Harry Potter, to our regularly scheduled programming. By the way, I'm belching a little bit. It's because I just had delicious Greek food for dinner. There is the most amazing restaurants and cafes and dining here where I am in Florida, and I'm living for it. So I'm going to start now. This is, uh, this is the first episode of season five of The Mistress of Pop Culture, and I'm really, really excited, honored, and thrilled to be doing this. I started in 2019. It is about to be 2022, which is crazy. I mean, I'm so like, lost in the fact that we're not in 2020 anymore, as I'm sure many of you are as well. But... Well, that being said, a whole new year of shows, good stuff, fun stuff. I'm going to try to bring some of my friends on. Um, I'm really actually looking forward to the start of January because my cousin, who I just love and adore, is moving to L.A. January 1st, which I am thrilled about because he is a filmmaker. He's great. He's artistic. He's very much someone that I grew up very close with, and it's just going to be great for me. And you guys, it's coming up on my ninth year in L.A., which is just totally bananas and Thrilling and exciting and exhilarating. So, <clears throat> you know, that's that. But with that being said, I have six stories for you guys today. Six. Six really good ones. Um, four of which have to do with movies that came out recently. And we're going to talk a lot about shows and stuff and whatnot. <sighs> Spider-Man. And just like that, Hawkeye. And of course, what I watched actually last night. Well, two nights ago. Um, which is Don't Look Up on Netflix with Leo, Jen Lawrence, Meryl, Jonah Hill... An iconic cast. Ari, Kid Cudi, Cate Blanchett, um, Tyler Perry. I mean, the Tyler Perry of it. Tyler Perry and Cate Blanchett in that film, Don't Look Up on Netflix. You guys, if you haven't seen it, I highly see, I implore you to go watch it, but it was so great. Um, so there's just been so much going on in the past, uh, you know, weeks since I've been off, but I'm really, really thrilled to be back. And um, I feel like I've had so many... I've had so many life updates, but I can't even, like, put them all together. I mean, I should have written... Usually what I do is I write out all my thoughts and, you know, prepare a little something, something before each episode. As you guys know, you're my loyal listeners. But this today, I, I'm just going to go off the, off the beaten path, off the cuff, and, you know, sort of improv. Um, but, yeah, pretty much aside from being with my family and eating lots of great holiday food, which, by the way, I did lose weight, which is really exciting because I've been eating more than I usually do in L.A., but I've been swimming a lot, I've been going bike riding, walking, exercising, just moving more than I usually do. Because I just drive in LA, aside from like walking up and down, you know, in the area I live in, in West Hollywood, to go like get coffee or just go for a little walk or take my dog out. 
I actually go and like do stuff, which is <laughs> crazy. Um, but yeah, so without further ado, let's get into our stories because there's a lot to chat about. I'm going to sort of incorporate non-stories into the stories that I picked because it has to do with it, but I didn't want to, I didn't like actually pick an official story to like corroborate with that, but you know how it is. So anyways, our first story of the day, sort of the big story to, you know, wrap up our December, a little MCU news, Spider-Man No Way Home dashes to 1 billion plus global for pandemic era first. It's top 2021 title, international box office. Okay, so first and foremost, I want to say, I saw Spider-Man No Way Home the 17th. I saw it the night of the day, I think, the day before it came out. <sighs> you guys, it was so great. I mean, if you follow me on TikTok, you know, I'm a Marvel freak, obsessed, fanatic, lover of all shows. I mean, WandaVision was life-changing. And then I, of course, watched um, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Then I, of course, watched Loki. And then I just finished Hawkeye, which premiered its finale episode six last week on Thursday, which is great. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I do want to talk about Spider-Man No Way Home because, first and foremost, I, I don't even think it's worth issuing a, a spoiler alert because I'm sure everybody has seen it by now. But we know our three Spider-Men are there. Of course, you know, leading man, Tom Holland. Um, and then, of course, OG, Tobey Maguire. And then my personal favorite, and actually TikTok's favorite, Andrew Garfield was there, who was in The Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. He didn't get a third, but... After watching this film, hold on one sec. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> After watching No Way Home, I'm pretty sure that Sony and Marvel have to give this young man another movie because it was he was just so good. And there was a moment in the film where he rescues Zendaya, and it was a you know sort of a metaphor for the fact that he was um, that he had didn't wasn't able to save Gwen Stacy, who was of course played by the iconic Emma Stone. So good. I mean, I mean, okay. So the film. Aside from having the three Spider-Mans, having Willem Dafoe, who played Green Goblin, Alfred Molina, who played Doc Ock, and then Jamie Foxx, who played Electro, and then um, Thomas Hayden Church, who was the sand guy in Spider-Man 2, it was so good to see all of our villains back. I mean, of course, it was a heartbreaking loss of May, who was played by the iconic Marissa Tomei. Loved her. She was so great in this film. Zendaya was great. The best friend was great. Um, and there were just lots of funny cameos. But, oh, and of course... Um, Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange was incredible. Uh, but it was a great film. It was action-packed. I thought it was visually stunning. It reminded me a lot of Doctor Strange, the original Doctor Strange. Um, and I just thought the story was great. And having the three guys together was amazing. And the villains were great. Um, and it was, it was a, com- a lot of comedy. There was great chemistry between the three of them. I'm not quite sure if Tobey Maguire is going to have another Spider-Man. Because, you know, over the years, if you're you know a pop culture fan, which I'm sure you are if you're listening to this podcast... He doesn't really mesh well with the paparazzi and the fandom, and he gets you know, he got really upset back in the day when he was being hounded by the press, which I get it, you know, it was a different time, and he was really hounded, but, you know, he seems to have calmed down now. Um, also, what was really interesting about this film were the two post-credit scenes. Of course, if you have seen the film, you know this. The first post-credit scene was incorporating Tom Hardy's Venom, which obviously means he's going to be incorporated into the multiverse, MCU, and then the second post-credit scene, which literally broke the internet, and the trailer is now out, so I implore you to go on YouTube and watch it, was the official first teaser trailer for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Elizabeth Olsen, and many others to come. Of course, um, Wong's going to be there, and the newest edition, I forget what the name is, but it's just going to be incredible. And, um, oh, Rachel McAdams was in the trailer, and it's so great to see Regina George back on screen. She played Christine Palmer, who was a doctor with um, 
Stephen Strange at the hospital before Stephen Strange became a wizard. Um, something interesting also I read about this film is that, well, first of all, Sam Raimi's directing it, and Sam Raimi directed the original Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, which is really exciting, but he also said that the film, Elizabeth also said that this film is going to be scary. And, I mean, look, Endgame and Infinity War, yeah, they definitely had their scary moments. Um, uh, Thanos was scary, of course, and everybody turning into dust. Well, 50% of people turn into dust, and, uh, you know, that's, it's scary, you know, especially for, like, young kids and whatnot. But, um, you know, after watching the trailer, you know, the, the for the post-credit scene, based on the title card, the title credit, um, where, you know, the letters come up that say Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, it was red, it was eerie, it was kind of giving me the it vibe, um, which, you know, is really awesome, but also really freaking scary, so I'm really looking forward to it, and Elizabeth Olsen, I mean, I just can't wait to have Wanda back, and that comes out in May 2022, so chef's kiss to that, very, very exciting, and um, I'm just really happy that cinema and movies are back, by the way, I'm not even going into the Omricon of it all, I can, but if just stay safe and wear your masks and get boosted. By the way, I got boosted uh, last week and I got Pfizer, and I know that's like a full dose of um, the shot. I know Moderna might be less, I think, uh, but I got Pfizer because I wanted you know, to keep all three. And um, yeah, I was pretty much knocked out for a day and a half, so that was it was uh it was like ow my arm i felt like i got like you know that people used to give you dead arm when they would punch you in the arm you'd be like dead arm dead arm i was like um ow so yeah but my um i i got it at 4 p.m on a sunday and then i woke up at maybe 3 a.m on monday morning early and i was like what why am i feeling like this it literally when people say it hits you like a train it really does so that was that so that's all i'm gonna you know preach about vaccines and covid and everything but anyways let's get let's actually read the article i i just kind of went off on a tangent but kind of giving a brief synopsis of the film a rough sketch by the way oh and my last thing i would say about spider-man no way home was the ending scene where obviously everybody's memories get wiped even dr strange's except for peter's because peter wants to nobody to remember who he is because it's good of his life um and he goes into the coffee shop or bakery where zendaya works and uh, mj works and um his besties there and they're there and they're friends but they don't like know him and it's it's heartbreaking, but it sets up um, some good stories for future Peter Parker, you know, films. And I think uh, from what I read online, um, Sony as well as Marvel uh, are talking about new or more Tom Holland films for Spider-Man. So that's really exciting for us fans. So yeah, loved it. Okay, anyway, so this article is from Deadline.com. I just went off on a big tangent. This episode is going to be much longer than usual, but there's a lot to talk about because we haven't talked in an entire week, and this is our first episode of the season. So... Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home dashes to 1 billion plus, global for pandemic era first. Okay, uh, Sony slash Marvel Spider-Man No Way Home is having a joyous holiday as it is now officially the first movie of the pandemic era to pass the 1 billion mark at the global box office, the nationwide gross, I'm sorry, the worldwide gross um, through Sunday is 1.05 billion, which makes this installment Sony's number two film of all time behind only Spider-Man Far From Home, which was 1.13 billion, which is incredible because that film came out during normal times pre-pandemic. Um, no Way Home is also the number one title of the year worldwide and one of the only movies of the modern era to ever reach one billion without China. Simply amazing. What's more, the John Watts directed No Way Home got to the mark just in just in 12 days ultimately crossing early Sunday rather than Christmas Day, as had been anticipated. But, these, but at the stratos, 
atmospheric levels and during a pandemic, that's just splitting hairs. I wonder if Zendaya, Tom Holland, or any of the stars got like a cut in the box office proceeds. I'm sure they did. Cha-ching. Um, speaking of cha-ching, there's this really funny soundbite going around on TikTok. I'm sure you've heard it of Zendaya. Like somebody asking her, what's her net worth? And she's like, what is Zendaya's net worth? Net worth. I don't know, then like 1.2 or something comes up, 1.2 million, she goes, girl, I know I'm worth a lot more than that. It's hysterical. And it's really funny because Zendaya is like so chill and so normal and the fact that she's like, girl, I'm worth millions. It's so funny. It's a TikTok thing. Um, <clears throat> anyways, uh, oh, what's more, the John Watts directed No Way Home. John Watts directed No Way Home. Got to the mark in just 12 days. Um, blah, blah, blah. No Way Home is the... Third fastest title ever to 1 billion global, just behind Avengers Infinity War, just 11 days. Avengers Endgame is a record holder, having done it in five. Well, of course, those were two iconic films. The amazingly reviewed Tom Holland's and Daya Benedict Cumberbatch star added 121.4 million at the international box office this past weekend, including 3.5 mil um, from new opener Thailand. This lifts the offshore Hume in 61 overseas market, 587 mil, blah, 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 blah. The rest of it's pretty much logistics in terms of money and cha-ching, cha-ching. Um, congratulations to Marvel. I mean, it's not surprising. This was probably the most anticipated film of arguably, well, I don't want to say all time, but it was definitely the most anticipated film of 2021 because everybody was looking forward to it because it was the end of the year. It was Christmas. It was December. And it was just a magical time for this film to come out. But also, I have to say, Shang-Chi was amazing and the legend of the rings. Um, <clears throat> and then all the... 2021 brought us WandaVision, Falcon, and the Winter Soldier, Loki, as well as Hawkeye, by the way. Um, Hawkeye, the six episodes were amazing. Haley Seinfeld is fabulous. And of course, Yelena, um, Florence Pugh's character from um, Black Widow, was in the last three episodes. And she was iconic. She was great. Hysterical. Dialogue. So funny. And I'm really looking forward to, um, oh, and of course, the just delicious Jeremy Renner as Clint Barton. Loved it, and uh, the finale was phenomenal. Kingpin was there, um, and the show—it was just a really well done show, really well written, very very inclusive of you know diverse actors and uh, uh, you know people from all walks of life and different um, abilities and disabilities and strengths and weaknesses. It, it was a very good show, and I'm really looking forward to Haley Steinfeld's um, Kate. Uh, what is her character's name? Kate, you know who it is. Um, in in the future MCU projects, so that was great. Um, also, I just wanted to really quickly talk about what is our second story? Oh no, our second story. Oh, our second story is a Zendaya story. It's a funny Tom Holland story. Um, oh, and the and just like that, episode four came out. You guys, episode four was a game changer, at least for me. We all know that Carrie Bradshaw is problematic in her own way. Not Sarah Jessica Parker. We're talking about Carrie Bradshaw, which is why SJP wins all those awards for playing Carrie, because she's so great at the part. There was a new character introduced in this episode named Seema Patel, who is Carrie's realtor. Carrie's selling that gorgeous apartment that she had in Sex and the City 2, as well as a show with Big, because obviously Big passed. By the way, the crazy notes of it all, I'm going to talk about that another time, because I know that is that is worthy of its own moment. Um, I might do an entire episode committed solely to that, but we'll see. Anyway, so she has this fabulous realtor named Seema Patel, who's Indian, which is so great because, you know, as we all have been seeing this, this season or this, uh, this new chapter of Sex and the City and just like that has been very inclusive, much more so than the original series, which had a little bit, but not like at the forefront. There are now one, two, three, three leads that are diverse, which is great. 
This woman is so fabulous, you guys. I can't even handle it. And there's a scene at the end of the at the end of the episode where Carrie has an open house. She comes home and she's talking to Seema. And throughout the in the beginning of the episode, when we first meet her, she's like, "You have to change this and this about your apartment to make it more sellable um, to prospective buyers, including putting away all personal items." And then she makes a funny reference about shoes. You can't touch my shoes. Blah blah blah. So what happens is Carrie gets home and Seema says to her. Um, oh, by the way, Carrie's smoking again. I mean, I know that's sending a really bad message out there, but like this is pretty much restoring Carrie back to her original series form where she was a smoker. Well, in the original. Well, she, she even did smoke in the uh, series finale when she's in Paris with um, uh, Alexander Petrovsky. Remember when she's like, he's like working in the museum all day and she's, that there's that montage of her walking around Paris and eating in the bakery and she's smoking. You guys, the series is so good. I've been re-watching some episodes. I just watched the episode where she goes to Suffern with Aiden and Samantha comes and you know, the farmer and you know what happens. Such a good show. Um, where was I going with this? Oh, yes. And just like that. So Seema, her realtor, accidentally, there's a picture of Carrie and Big next to her bed and the picture got dented and the glass broke. Carrie goes off and is like, how dare you? Why did you even move it? You said nothing would get broken move, during the move. And Seema was like, I'm really sorry that I'm not being insensitive. And Carrie goes, yes, you are. You are being insensitive. And Seema says something, her rebuttal is, or her response. She says it in the most beautiful way, too. She, her delivery. By the way, the actress who plays Seema Patel, if you're a Hunger Games fan, like I am, she's in Mockingjay Part 1 and 2. She plays Nigeria, President Snow's, like, right-hand woman. And I literally, when I saw the trailer for the show, I screamed because I was like, oh, my God, that's Nigeria. But, like, not everybody sees, like is a freak like that and just can like put faces to iconic movies but i love the hunger games so much which by the way don't look up I'm, the jennifer lawrence of it all i cannot even handle it and we're going to talk about her in a moment seema's like look you i apologize for coming off being insensitive i did not mean to break this photo but maybe part of me doesn't feel bad for you because you you had all these wonderful years with this man and i i have not found my love yet and then carrie says of course every episode of been just like that ends with and just like that that happens and she says in this particular episode and just like that we began our real friendship and it's so great and you know some people were speculating that this fabulous iconic woman might be the new samantha but i don't think so i think she's just going to be a fabulous friend to carrie and of course charlotte has this fabulous friend um LTW, Lisa Todd Wexley, and then Miranda has her law professor who she's friends with. And from the looks of the trailer of episode five, she there's a little flirt going on with Sara Ramirez, who plays Che Diaz. Um, and to see Miranda and they would be, it, it, you know, will be fabulous. So yeah, the four, first four, congratulations to HBO Max and Sarah Jessica, Kristen, Cynthia, Michael Patrick King. I mean, there's just so much good TV right now. And the fact that it, like the last month of December, it was like a gift. I mean, between Marvel and HBO Max and Disney Plus, like, thank you. Yeah, so exciting. And um, I believe on December 28th, no, the 29th, the Boba Fett series for Disney Plus. And I, I mean, that's just going to be, whew, I can't wait to watch that. So anyways, you guys, we haven't even gone to our second story yet. And this is crazy because I still have four more after that. So our second story of the day also sort of off of, off the, whatever, off the legs of Spider-Man, literally. This is from E-News. Tom Holland sends fans into a frenzy after liking a post about how short men have more sex. I saw this on E, but I also saw it on TMZ, and I, like, literally was laughing out loud because, you know, as we all know, Tom and Zendaya are allegedly a couple. I mean, they haven't confirmed it, but, you know, Zendaya's very tall and just gorgeous and likes for days, and Tom isn't short. He's just, like, an average-sized guy. Not average in his talent, not average in his looks, but his height, you know? 
But I guess he likes some posts about being intimate with the significant other of one's life. Tom Holland is out here living his best life on the interweb. The Spider-Man No Way Home star, 25, has caught the attention of his fan base after he cheekily liked a post about sex by the publication Lad Bible on Instagram. The post, shared on Thursday, December 23rd, featured an image of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito from the 1988 film Twins alongside a tag thread, a tag that read, quote, according to science, short men have more sex. When Holland's hilarious Instagram like was captured and shared by the Instagram page, comments by celebs, his fans, quickly swung into action in the comment section to share their thoughts. Quote, I feel like Tom forgets he's famous, one fan commented. Another added, quote, Tom said, yup, that's me. And a third sent a message of support writing, we love you, our short king. Conversation about Holland, who is five foot eight. I mean, I'm five foot nine, he's one inch shorter than me. Um, and his height um, were few and far between until it was revealed this summer that he begins dating Zen his Spider-Man co-star Zendaya, who is taller than him by two inches. Since then, it's become such a frequent topic of conversation that the couple had to address their height difference in an appearance on the Graham Norton show earlier this month and how it affected a scene in the latest Spider-Man film. Um, while on the show, the couple explained a scene they filmed in which they landed on a bridge, but due to Zendaya's 5'10 height, her feet would land first. Quote, so Zendaya would land, Tom explained, and I'm a superhero, I'm supposed to look cool, and I would land on my feet, and I would land, and my feet would swing from underneath me, and then she would catch me in the past. <laughs> That's funny, I know exactly what the scene they were talking about was. In the past, Holland has been quite open about his insecurities that stem from his shorter stature. In an interview with GQ, he revealed the unique trick he used to perform taller in photos. Quote, I do this thing on red carpets where I would stand closer to the photographers than the people behind me to look taller, he said, before adding that they eventually learned that he, quote, cannot do anything about my height. We're glad to see. He's since found a hilarious silver lining. I mean, Tom Holland, you have nothing to be shy about because your height has clearly not impeded on your massive success as a movie star. Um, and he has some other movies coming up too, which I'm really excited about. It's always great to see these stars, you know, post Spider-Man, not that Spider-Man career is over, but you know, doing really well. Of course, Tobey Maguire did really well. The Great Gatsby is one of my favorite movies. And he was in that really dark movie with Jake Gyllenhaal where they played brothers. I think it's actually called Brothers and he's married to Natalie Portman, but then he goes to way to war and gets kidnapped and tortured and then, it's a really dark film, and after I saw the film, I was like, whoa, okay, that's kind of scary. Um, but I loved him as um, Nick Carraway and Gatsby with his bestie, real-life bestie Leonardo DiCaprio, which, who, by the way, is fabulous and don't look up. And this brings us to our third story of the day. Don't Look Up delivers a scathing satire that occasionally veers off course. Okay, this is a review from CNN, and first of all, I want to say, Don't Look Up was so great because not, not only was it hilarious— and a great commentary on the world um, post-pandemic. The casting was so great. Okay, we have Leonardo DiCaprio, who was, you know, he's just supremely talented. Jennifer Lawrence, who is, there are no words. She's, I mean, to me, she's always going to be Katniss Everdeen, but she's just so good in this film. We have Meryl Streep playing a caricature version of a Trump-esque president. And we all know Mary, Meryl Streep's iconic Cecil B. DeMille acceptance speech was pretty much ripping him apart. We have Jonah Hill, who plays her son, who is, you know, pretty much, uh, <laughs> reminds, <laughs> reminding us of two sons that the former president once had. Well, he has, but the former president's you know, sons. Um, then we have um, Cape Blanchett, who is like a, Fox News news commentator. We have Tyler Perry, who is her co-anchor, and just the two of them are phenomenal, have a great rapport. 
We have Timothy Chalamet, who plays an interesting part in Jennifer Lawrence's life towards the end of the film. We have Melanie Linsky, who plays Leonardo DiCaprio's wife. And for those of you who don't know Melanie Linsky, I, I implore you to go look up her work because she's in one of my favorite movies of all time, Ever After, with Drew Barrymore. It's a Cinderella story. Drew Barrymore plays um, Danielle. Um, Danielle, what's her last name? It's like some really fancy French last name. Angelica Houston plays the stepmother. This other fabulous girl plays the other stepsister. And then Melanie Linsky plays the, the good stepsister who's really sweet and secretly, you know, kind of <laughs> Drew Barrymore's character. I was, I, I just, I love when, when actors who I haven't seen in a long time are in these like mainstream films. Iconic. Um, I was wondering where Matthew Perry was because I do remember seeing him in paparazzi photos, but I guess he was cut out of the film, which, you know, whatever. And then Chris Evans was in it. He played, a, he had like a very, very quick scene cameo where he was playing a movie star. So great to see him. And it makes sense because the film was shot in Boston and Chris Evans is from Massachusetts. So love to see it. Anyways, this article. <clears throat> in a grand science fiction tradition, Don't Look Up uses a disaster movie framework as a metaphor for a reality-based crisis with a huge comet hurling towards Earth as a surrogate for indifference to addressing climate change. Also, it was kind of like COVID. Um, yet the star-studded, extremely provocative satire at times veers off course itself, partially undermining its admirable qualities with the broadness of its tone. At its core, writer-director Adam McKay, who wrote the script with journalist-activist David Sierrata, delivers a very pointed treats of the dysfunctional state of the current politics and media in which everyone is so myopic as to be unable to focus on an existential threat. The title reflects on the inevitable endpoint of that with a bury your head in the sand approach to impeding doom. The window into that absurdity comes when astronomy professor Randall Mindy, Leo DiCaprio, and his PhD student Kate DiBiaschi, Jennifer Lawrence, discover the comet whose trajectory will lead a direct to a direct collision with Earth in a little over six months. Understandably alarmed, their findings quickly reach the White House, where the president, Meryl Streep, poorly served by the ridiculousness of her character, which, by the way, I highly disagree with that. I thought Meryl Streep was one of the funniest parts of this film. Oh, of course, Ariana Grande was in it, too. She played a pop star. She, like, sang this is a gorgeous song, ballad, like, brought me to tears. Is too preoccupied with her endangered Supreme Court pick to focus on what Randall describes as an extinction-level event. After fruitless back and forth, um, she concludes that they'll, quote, sit tight and assess the situation. By the way, Meryl is so funny in this film because she, the Supreme Court nominee that she picks is, like, someone she's, the, she's had, like, you know, fooled around with. And the, the reporter is, like, who she sent her pictures of her private parts to. I was literally hackling. It was so funny. Cackling. So funny. She also um, has, like, a great, you know, rapport with Jennifer Lawrence. And at the end of the film... I mean, spoiler alert or whatever, if you watch it. Um, but don't say I didn't warn you. Spoiler alert. She, like, runs away because, like, the comet hits Earth because nobody believes them. And she, like, goes to this other planet with in one of those, like, spaceships that and it takes, I think, 22,000 years to get to, but they're all in, like, a hyper chamber, hyper something chamber where they, like, sleep and just stay the same age or whatever. And they all come out of the spaceship naked. It's like, whoa. But anyways, like, a dinosaur, like, bites her face off and that's her doom. And I was, like, literally, like, what the hell? But it was a really good film and she was so good. I, I thought it was a really great film. It didn't veer off course for me. In fact, I want to watch it again, but I'm not going to watch it again tonight because um, it's a little too long. Oh, you guys, I also watched The Matrix Resurrections on HBO Max, which I will talk about in tomorrow's episode because I have a lot of thoughts about that, and most of them are really good because 
they did something very, very specific that I thought was great. And I mean, I, I, I'm a huge fan of The Matrix, uh, the original three. Um, I know the third one got a little flack, uh, but I thought it was brilliant, and I'm really, really grateful that Keanu and um, Carrie Ann Moss and the Wakaika sisters, or the, like, the director came back. It was just, it was a really well-done film. Um, anyways, the attempts to make that point, however, can widely, um, in different directions from a tech billionaire, uh, Mark Rylance adopting a not-so-out-of-this-world accent who sees opportunities to cash in on the comet's natural resources to the president's chief of staff, Jonah Hill, who can only see the threat in terms of how it might impact the midterm elections. Still, Don't Look Up keeps getting sidetracked thanks in part to piling up celebrities in minor roles, witness Timothy Chalamet's belated entrance for no particular reason, and pursuing subplots that drag out the tension on whether these flawed leaders will find the fortitude and sobriety taken down DiCaprio, whose climate change activism included producing the documentary Ice on Fire and Lawrence, are both very good, but many of the other bold-faced names basically serve as flashy, somewhat unnecessary window dressing. Okay, here's where I want to take umbrage with that statement. Yes, Jennifer and Leo were obviously great, but Meryl was fantastic, and it was so appropriate for her to have that role because she's so outspoken about her disdain for the past administration. Jonah was so good at his role as the chief of staff, as like a twit, like just prick of a son. Um, Mark Rylance, Rylance, who I think is an esteemed actor, played... Well, actually, you know what? That's going to lead into our next story. So I'm actually glad I brought this up. Played a sort of creepy, you know, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk billionaire. Although I don't think Elon Musk is a creep. I think Jeff Bezos. I mean, there's that meme going around where he's doing that laugh and it's like very, um, uh, very similar to that evil, Dr. Evil's laugh from Austin Powers. It's, you know, that you know the TikTok video I'm talking about. It went super viral. But anyways, this brings us to our... Fourth story, Mark Relance, Rylance, and Don't Look Up, techie billionaire character compared to Musk, Zuck, Cook, Bezos. Okay, this is from TMZ. So, um, let's read this. Mark Relance's turn as a deranged tech CEO in Don't Look Up is a clear dig at our country's leading billionaires, leading billionaire visionaries. But the question, who is it actually aimed at? You've probably heard about this new Netflix flick, but what you may not have known, Relance's portrayal as chief of a revolutionary company is getting compared to guys like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Tim Cook, and others pushing the information envelope. One thing the internet can't seem to agree on, which of these billionaires serves as the true inspiration behind Rylance's Peter Isherwell, who ends up contributing to everyone on Earth, save a select few, getting killed by an incoming comet. Sorry, spoiler alert. For those who've seen it, you know Isherwell runs a company called Bash, which seems to be a spinoff of Apple, a la Cook slash Jobs, but it's way more advanced in that it reads your every thought and mood and predicts how you'll die. That's right, it predicts how Meryl Streep, the president, dies. And, like, it, it, there's some... He, she dies because of, like, a dinosaur name. And then at the end of the movie, it actually happens, and he's like, oh, my God. It's crazy. Um, but it's way more advanced that it reads your every thought, mood, and predicts how you'll die. All based on data it collects on its users. Isherwell, funny enough, also runs a space unit of some sort, similar to Musk. In the end, Isherwell's plan to blow up the incoming comet and collect the precious minerals found within it completely backfires, having led to Meryl Streep, the president, and the rest of the world's citizens astray. He hightails it off Earth before it blows up in his own rocket and attempts to colonize a new planet in the distant galaxy, which also hilariously backfires. The point is, the dude seems to be an amalgam of all these guys in one, although most people appear to think he's most like Times person of the year for 2021, Elon Musk. And then there's a tweet by a David Sierrata. 
TFW, it's actually hard to tell the difference between real life and satirical art. And then of course, it's a side-by-side -side photo of the Don't Look Up poster of this actor, as well as the person of the year, Time Magazine, Elon Musk. It sounds like Reelance himself sees a little Elon in his character as well, although he's quick to point out Isherwell isn't necessarily a dead ringer for any one of the techie billionaires, despite him certainly being a, despite it being a farcical joke, just take on both of them. As he explains, Isherwell's actions are premised on the idea that any of our world's problems can be solved with technology, a testament to our times and where we are headed. Also, it's, it's definitely, um, in, it's, it's a commentary on how, you know, uh, Elon and uh, Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson um, are basically all, you know, space-driven and uh, have all gone up there and sent their rockets up there. And basically, you know, how, how people are like, well, why are you spending all this money on space travel when you can be spending the money on fixing Earth? And people think, you know, they're going to just uh, abandon Earth when things go awry and... It, it was a very, it was a very well done film. It was a great comment, commentary on where we are, what we just went through, and I loved it. And I implore you guys once again to watch it. It's called Don't Look Up. It's on Netflix. It makes sense why all these stars did it, and they probably paid a heck of a lot to get them. Um, I mean, we know they did. Jen, Leo got twenty five million. Jennifer got twenty million. Meryl probably got millions. I mean, I mean, Kate Blanchett's salary, Tyler Perry's salary, Ariana Grande's salary, Kid Cudi's salary, Jonah Hill's salary. I, 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 Melody Linsky's salary and all the rest of the cast. Um, so anyways, it was, it was great and I highly suggest you watch it. And now we bring ourselves to our fourth and, um, I'm sorry, fifth and sixth stories of the day. And you know me, I'm a, I'm a creature of habit, as I say. So in pretty much every episode in season four and three of the show, The Mistress of Pop Culture, I would talk about the Kardashian, Jenner, West, Disick, group and um i love them you know it's like it's home for me it's a it's a it's a it's a peaceful way of connecting to my people and i, I just love them so much so i'm happy to report these next two stories the first being from tmc kardashian jenner low-key christmas eve thanks to covid no party this year okay we all waited with bated breath for the iconic christmas eve party that chris jenner host celebrity filled gorgeous outfits always a divine theme but they didn't have one this year because of the outbreak of omicron which i think is great it's safer and we, you know we got personal content from like kendall jenner posting a gorgeous photo of her in a ball gown at courtney's house and i think courtney had christmas eve so <clears throat> love to see that but this is again from tmz the annual kardashian jenner christmas eve party well this already happened so was scaled way back for the second year in a row thanks to COVID-19, but that doesn't mean the fam will be able to do a little celebrating themselves, sources with direct knowledge tell TMZ. Chris and the family made the decision to hold up on the elaborate bash the family has become known for over the years due to the alarming rise of COVID cases in the area and all over the country for that matter. Um, TMZ sources say Chris uh, still got her daughters and grandkids together on Christmas Eve, but that's it, nothing over the top. Parties in the past have seen huge celeb guests like J-Lo, Paris, Hilton, Dave Chappelle, Chrissy Teigen, Tony Braxton, Babyface, Kanye, of course, and some performances from John Legend and Sia. The big question, of course, is if Kim's new dude, Pete Davidson, will spend part of the Christmas holiday with her. Uh, TMC's told Pete's headed back to New York to spend time with his media family, but he's been bouncing back and forth between coasts, so you never know. I wonder who does all that traveling. I wonder if he goes commercial and private because we all know Kylie has a private jet, but Kim probably has a private jet at this point, too. TMZ broke the story. Kim and Pete were spotted grabbing breakfast at the Beverly Hills Hotel earlier in the week before Pete cruised around the city in Kim's tricked out Royal Royce, which then brings us to our sixth and final story of the day, of the Monday. 
Uh, Pete Davidson rolling up to 7-Eleven for cigarettes. Christmas in L.A. Pete Davidson is venturing out to parts of L.A. where a Rolls Royce has rarely traveled. 7-Eleven. Pete was tooling around again Friday in GF Kim Kardashian's tank of a car, breezing into the store that never closes for a pack of smokes. And if you're curious, he bought two packs of American Spirits. And he's carrying a Louis Vuitton wallet. And this is interesting. He's not spending Christmas in Staten Island, which he has called home since birth. He's enclosed in LA with Kim, although we're told TMZ is told he's staying in a hotel. He also, he was also not at the Kardashian Jenner Christmas Eve, sorry, a scaleback affair because of COVID. Kim and Pete are definitely a thing. They've been bouncing back and forth between coasts to see each other, although it seems Pete's traveling west more than Kim's going east, wink, wink. They're certainly, uh, they've certainly made the rounds, grabbing grub at the Beverly Hills Hotel after both returned from NYC. They had a very public date on Staten Island last weekend where Kim and Pete rented out a private theater just for them, but they were busted by a bunch of moviegoers who went crazy with their cell phones. Okay, look. I mean, have they actually confirmed that they're a couple? Like, what if they're writing a movie together? What if they're writing a project together? What if Kim's going to be, you know, a, a regular in SNL? What if she's, you know, becoming an actress? Have we actually gotten written confirmation? I don't know. But if so, I'm living for this. I love seeing him drive, you know, this normal guy driving around in Kim's, you know, very fabulous fancy car. Uh, you know, we saw him at the movies and it's great. You know, I think it's great. And I just want to see our girl happy and... I can only imagine. I wonder if Kanye spent the holidays with them and what, like, Kanye thinks of Pete and if he's like, are you kidding me? You, you're dating this guy after me? I wonder if Kanye thinks that. But, you know, to be honest, I, I think Pete Davidson is very good looking. So, I don't know. But this is something I'm really excited to be, you know, still reading about and talking about because I don't, I mean, maybe after S, their SNL stint sketch or whatever, not stint sketch, people are like, oh, they're just going to, you know, be friends or whatever. Which they very well may be, but we don't actually know. This is all really exciting, and um, of course, as I always do as a minister of pop culture, I will keep you updated because that is my job. That is my job. I love doing it, and um, it's just thrilling. So, but that being said, everybody, that is uh, episode one of season five of the Mistress of Pop Culture. I couldn't wait until January 3rd. I had to start now, um, and I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas, holiday season, Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate. I welcome all to the show. I'm thrilled to be back. I'm going to try and do longer shows this year. You know, even if there's not much to talk about, maybe I'll do Monday, Wednesday, Friday and incorporate more in one episode. But with that being said, you can stream my podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Castbox Radio, iTunes, Podcast App on the iPhone, basically anywhere where podcasts stream. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. I love doing this. I love chatting. Follow me on Instagram at Andrew Dimitri or on TikTok at Andrew Dimitri. Um, I love ticking. I love talking. And I love TV and film. That is my life. That is my job. That is, you know, basically my existence is to watch movies and TV shows because I'm antisocial. But with that being said, have a fabulous Monday and I will be back with you guys tomorrow and um, or Wednesday. We don't know. We don't know. But for now, have a good one. Bye.